This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. All right, first of all, I want to open up with a, a little announcement as well myself. Um, as, as you all are aware, and like Grace just mentioned, we've gone through a lot since March. And now we're getting ready to go into a, a, another season, a new season, a different kind of season where summer is coming to a close and school is going to be starting up for those of you who have kids or or things are going to look differently, you know, going into the fall. So there's a handful of things that we wanted to to bring to you to ask you to be laboring in prayer with us about. It's not about us just making decisions or saying this is what we're going to do or this is what we're not going to do. We've been seeking the Lord's face through all of this stuff. All of the decisions that we have made have been based on prompting or leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to continue to do that, and we want to include you in that as well. So um, we haven't had a lot of our normal families at church because we have families with a lot of kids, and um, we're looking at transitioning into, you know, having kids ministry again and youth group and young adults group. And then we're going to be launching our new home groups in September. So those are the four areas that we're asking you if you would, if you would agree with us in prayer about how to help in a healthy way to do kids ministry, how in a healthy way to transition into a new um, season for our, for our youth and for our young adults and college groups and, and for those home groups that we're really going to be encouraging people to be connected to or a part of going into September because we really believe that, that while we've been stunted in, in the sense that, that there has been some prohibitions made on whether you can go to church or not, but, but there hasn't been for you to gather together with brothers or sisters or friends in your home. So when we launch home groups, we really want to facilitate that as a way to have more fellowship. Because if there's one thing I think that we need right now, it's more fellowship, it's not less fellowship. So if, if you would agree with me and, and with us in prayer, be seeking the Lord about that, because over the next few weeks, we're going to be putting some things in motion to be able to, to accommodate those, Okay. So thank you for that. Thank you for your prayers and for agreeing with us in prayer. You can turn to Matthew chapter 23. And if, if you don't know me very well yet, um, I love Matthew chapter 23 because it gives me license to yell, and I really enjoy yelling and screaming. So um, I'm looking forward to the message today. I didn't yell quite as much as I thought I would in the first service, but hey, we've got another shot at it, so... If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. We, ha- hand. we do have Bibles that have been disinfected and taken care of and all that stuff. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 23 and let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we thank you for your great compassion for us. And it's evident throughout history, it's evident that that you have pursued us, that you have loved us, and that you have made a way for us. 
And that even when we fall away, even when we struggle in sin, even when we struggle in dark seasons, you are faithful to meet us. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful because it's who you are. You cannot deny yourself. So, Father, we pray this morning that that you would give us a glimpse of that compassion, but also a real dose of truth. We thank you, God, that, that we can can gather together in your name and we can worship you. Worship you in spirit and in truth, but offer you the fruit of our lips as we sing those songs. We offer you worship, Father, through the studying of your word and the application of your word. And through our tithes and offerings, Father, we want them to be not in compulsion, but as an act of worship because you're good and we love you. Bless your word, Father, today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been warned before? One of my favorite things to do is to warn people because another favorite thing of mine to do is to say, see, I told you so. <laughs> I know, I know what's going to, I have this, the spirit of discernment and, and I told you not to do that and you did it anyway and now I warned you. I told you so. One of the things that stuck with me, I've shared this a couple times before, but one of the things that has that stuck with me from high school is my, I think it was in social studies, I, he was teaching history, and my teacher said, he said, one thing that you guys can be sure of, and this is why this class is so important, that history repeats itself. Can I get a witness? There's nothing new under the sun. The stuff that we're going through now, it's not new. They've gone through it before. We've gone through seasons and times of uncertainty, and and we've gone through it before. We'll go through it again. It's not until we start to cover our eyes and stop our ears and say, we don't care what happened to them. We don't care what happened then. We want to do what we want to do. And there's a lot of people right now that are doing what they want to do, regardless of what history has painted for us. We need to be careful. One of the things that we have the benefit of, if I can remind you of the last couple Sundays we talked about, is even if right now, today, or tomorrow morning, the worst of the worst happen, what's the next thing to come? You don't remember? The best of the best. Because if the worst of the worst happens, what, you know what that is. Total annihilation. Game over. End. What happens next? The best of the best we are receiving the promises of the inheritance that we've that, that that Jesus said he's going away to prepare a place for us this morning we see in Matthew chapter 23 i have 16 points for you now if you're a pharisee and you're saying you should only have two or three points at most pastor listen We're going to cruise through it. You're going to be fine. We've got 16 points. The first six points are the warnings to the disciples about the Pharisees, scribes, and religious elite. The next 10 points are woes to the scribes and Pharisees and the religious elite. So the first ones are like warnings. Hey, guys, be careful. Remember I just talked about warnings? Hey, guys, be careful. This is what this looks like. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And then the next 10 are, you did it. This is what's going to happen now. Whoa, 
We have, uh, Grace and I been married for 15 years now, and, and in the beginning stages of our marriage, we, we set up what discipline was going to look like when we had kids. Isn't that fun? And, and what she thought was good for discipline and what I thought. And, and lo and behold, her name is Grace, so it looked different. And there's a joke that we go by, she's Grace, I'm Truth. That's grace and truth. You got to deal with grace and truth. So they got the kids come in and, and we have a rule. And this is the rule in our house. You get one warning. That's it. One warning. And then after that, you get the consequences of what you know is coming, but you do get one warning. And then sometimes my kids will try to pull a fast one on me, right? And I'm like, you had one warning and now you know what's coming. They say, no, 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 dad, dad. dad we didn't know. You didn't warn us before. That was the first warning. And then, you know, some days I'm feeling a little, all right, all right, I'll let that one slide, but I'm pretty positive that I warned you already. But you know the thing that I love about God, before we jump into the text about warnings, God is always faithful to warn us before something bad uh, really happens. He always warns us before his judgment comes. Throughout all of scripture, the warnings are very clear. The warning signs, whether people see it or not or receive it or not, is a different issue. But God is so passionate about this that he does not take delight in the death of the ungodly. He's so passionate about this that in Revelation, before final judgment, if you follow me, it's one of my favorite things about Revelation because it shows the compassion of God. Before final judgment, God sends an angel to fly through the heavens proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ one more time just in case there's one person that could receive it and be spared and enter into eternity with him. It's, 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 it is humanly easy for us, natural, to focus on the negative things that we don't understand about God. But then when it comes to those kinds of things, like God, just send the angel, proclaim the gospel. I don't want to do this. I don't want these people to have to go through this. But one last time, you know the thing that boggles my mind? Even if an angel flies through heaven and proclaims the gospel, there's still people who reject God reject Jesus Christ. So here we begin with the six warnings. If you're taking notes, I love note takers, so if you're a note taker, I'll say every point for you so that you can follow along. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. Number one, scribes and Pharisees, this is the warning to the disciples and the people. Listen to what the Pharisees and the scribes tell you. The scribes were people who devoted their lives to the scripture, the studying of the scripture. And, and, and those religious elite sat in the, the literal seat in the, in the area where they met to tell what Moses did. He said, listen to what they say Moses said, but don't do what they do because they do not do what they say. They can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Number one, about a warning about being a Pharisee, don't talk the talk if you don't walk the walk. That's number one. Then number two, warning. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, 
and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Number two, warning about Pharisees. They'll be happy to tell you what you should do and to put a burden on you to do it. But when it comes time for any assistance, any help, they won't lift a finger. That's on you. That's what you got to do. Burden bearers. There's a lot of things swirling around right now in the church and outside of the church with people telling people what they have to do and what they can't do. A lot of burdensome talk. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear. Jesus came and what did he say? He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Did Jesus come to tell people what to do? Hey, you guys need to be doing this. He came to fulfill the law and to give you access to God through faith in him. Number three, warning. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Number three, what is it again? But, their wor- but all their works they do to be seen by men. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but the, the next ten things we're going to talk about with Pharisees and scribes is Jesus talks to, tells them eight times, exclamation mark, he yells, hypocrites. This is the correct definition of hypocrisy. And in this day and age, I don't think a lot of people realize that they, they don't use the correct definition of what a hypocrite really is. Hypocrites is to put on a mask and to act like somebody that you're not. You're an actor. You're putting on a show. It's not who you really are. And here it's, it's indicated in the text that in this point, they, they want to be perceived in a certain way as being certain people that they are not. And Jesus is going to go into detail about that. They make their phylacteries broad, the boxes they bind around their, their hands and their foreheads and, and their garments and their hats, and they love the best feasts, the best seats in the synagogues to be greeted by men and be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now, this is connected to titles and how people refer to you, but this one specifically is do not be called rabbi. It's, it's you giving yourself a place or position, a title. It's you saying, this is my status, this is, my, this is the hierarchy, and this is who I am, and this is how you should refer to me. Now, when I say that to somebody else of how it puts me on a platform or a place that's higher than them, higher than other people. And Jesus says, this is bad. Do not, do not give yourself some kind of title. Do you know titles are a funny thing? Any, anytime I meet somebody who is a self-proclaimed prophet, I'm like, oh, yeah, where'd you get that? The Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, all right, um, so the prophecies that didn't come to pass, because for some reason, all the prophets that I know, they've had one or two prophecies. that don't. So the problem is now, okay, there's a problem. We start giving ourselves titles, giving ourselves recognition to elevate ourselves. Jesus says, do not do that. Don't give yourself t- a title. Don't make yourself out to be somebody who you're not. 
Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. It's interesting to me that Jesus always comes back to this point. He's always leveling the playing field. And whenever anybody tries to exalt themselves higher, he's like, what are you doing? Like, you guys are all brothers. You shouldn't be jockeying for some position and, and, and title. I'll tell you a little bit about me, and maybe this is a little too honest, but I don't mind being transparent with you all. I used to not like to be called Pastor Tim. And if somebody would say, hey, Pastor Tim, and I'd be like, you know what? Just call me Tim, because like, I'm just a dude. I'm just like you, you know, and, and I, I don't want you to put me in a position higher than, than I really am. But then I came to a point, you know, getting close to 20 years in ministry, I came to a point where I, where I realized that, you know, sometimes people just need to talk to their pastor, not to Tim, which I'm grateful for. And I could speak from that pastoral area of my life knowing that what I'm sharing with them isn't my opinion, it's what comes from God's word. It's how I can encourage them. But I still, there is some kind of hesitation. And, 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 I, and I hate when I meet somebody new and, I'm, and we're talking, you know, and, and, and getting along. Because I like to meet new people, so I'm kind of chatty and talking to them. And then, and then they say, what do you do? And I, and, I, and I say, I'm a pastor of a church. And they say, oh. And then from that point on, they're completely different. I'm like, listen, you don't... Or they slip, they say a curse word. They're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I've heard it before. I mean, if, if that's who you are, you be you, you know? I'm... But that should be our perspective. That should be the heart of Jesus communicating. Stop trying to exalt yourself. And don't do it. Here's a warning. Don't do it like they do it. Because that's what they do, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They love to be called rabbi, to be called... Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying this in a legalistic sense of like, you know, I call my dad and say, Dad, I just read in the Bible, I can't call you father anymore because I have one father in heaven. That's not what he's saying. It's the authority, the parental authority. Oh, you're my father. Just don't do that. There's nobody in your life that's an authority greater than God, your Father. He's your authority. Do not call anyone on earth your Father, for one is your Father, and he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Notice that he already says this, but he does say it a little bit differently, doesn't, doesn't he? The first time he says, don't be called teacher, or don't tell people to call you teacher. The second one is, don't be called teacher. It's, it's somebody trying to flatter you. And, and giving you a title or calling you something to kind of lift you up. Oh, you are a rabbi. <laughs> You're a teacher. You're special. And then kind of puffing your chest up. Yeah, maybe I am special. Jesus says, don't receive that. If people want to put you in a place that you don't, you don't have to be there. Don't do it. It's, be careful. It's a slippery slope. Before you know it, you're, you're better than everybody else, and it's only your opinion that matters. Don't be called teacher. Don't, don't receive some kind of title from somebody. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. We had a ordination service in the church a number of years back, and there were some, some men and some ladies. I know that it is controversial in Calvary Chapel to have deaconesses, but since there are deaconesses in the Bible, 
there's deaconesses in Calvary Chapel. So we have men and women in Paradise Calvary Chapel who are deaconesses, and we were appointing some deacons and deaconesses, and then when I got to Grace, I, I gave her the, the title of Most Highly Exalted and Revered Woman of God, Deaconess Grace, and I said, that's what you will all refer to her from now on. Now, the reason I did it is because you're laughing. It's because it's funny. First of all, it's ridiculous. Second of all, if you know her, if you don't know her, by the way, get to know her a little bit. She is, and she is just like, I'm up here talking because we're just a family. We're having fun, you know, but this is serious too. And she's like curling in a ball in the corner because I gave her this title that she doesn't want to have anything to do with. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, number six. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God is faithful to do what he said he's going to do. And he said, if you want to puff your chest up, if you want to be super important and have titles and be be an authority in people's lives, be careful because I will bring you down. And there's another verse that says, those who humble themselves, who serve others, God exalts them. He lifts them up. Don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees who were to be humbled. Be like Jesus who served in humility, who did not come to be served, but to serve, and was highly exalted. Now we move on to the next section where these next ten points are of the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Here's the first one, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Now remember, every time we see that word hypocrite, don't think of it in terms of what you would think about in today. He's saying to them, woe to you guys, because you you say that you're one thing and you're actually something else. You present yourself as somebody who you're absolutely the opposite of, you're not. And these are the examples that he gives of of what you do. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Here's what the scribes and the Pharisees, their job was to lead people to God, to lead people to heaven. And he says, you're a hypocrite because the role that you have, not only do you not play, you're not going there. The people that you lead there are not going there. How sad. That, I think, deserves a good rebuke. You are who? You are not who you say you are. And the role that you fill, not only are you not fulfilling it for yourself, but you're not fulfilling it for others either. That's number one. Number two, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. The role of the scribe and the Pharisee is to help, assist, bless the widow, to give her a covering, to meet her. What they were doing is they were recognizing somebody who was weak and vulnerable and somebody they could take advantage of, they could get a little bit more from. The role was support and God's heart being displayed to a woman who had suffered loss. Instead, 
them not fulfilling that role, they were taking advantage. And then the pretense of making long prayers, the eloquence of, and I think maybe we all have those friends who, this is for fun, okay? You know, they, they switch from normal, how you doing, what's going on, and then we start to pray, and then they switch to King James Version. Oh, Lord, thou art the highest in all thy land. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you talking like that? Now, I want to say that there are some people who want to have a sense of reverence when they come to the Lord in prayer, so they might change a little bit, so it's mostly for fun. But, but if your intention to change the way you talk and to pray longer to be perceived differently, that's not what is intended. What's intended in prayer, for prayer, what's the intention of prayer? It's to talk to God. It's to pray for a brother or sister, to intercede. It's to communicate a need. Not to make yourself look better, to puff yourself up a little more. Number three, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves. There's some kind of high, lofty idea of a missionary, somebody who's traveled across the, the land, the world, and and, and you all know, probably, maybe, if, if I have not mentioned it before, that Grace and I were missionaries in Eastern Europe for 10 years. We met a lot of other missionaries and people that were serving on the mission field. We planted a church in Eastern Europe. And there's all kinds of people that go on the mission field for, for the wrong reason. I don't know if you're aware of that, but, but for the wrong reasons. There was this one guy I was talking to who was a missionary who the place for them where they were at wasn't really available anymore and they didn't know what they were going to do. And he's like, and I can't move back to the States. And I said, why can't you move back to, back to the States? He's like, because I'd never be able to get a job making as much as I make here. And I was like, dude, you are a hireling. What are you talking about? Like if God leads you somewhere else and he's going to take care of you, but don't try to remain in a place for a paycheck. They travel land and sea. There's this perception of who they are, but what their really intent, their, their true intention is, is to convert somebody to an ideology. This is something else that we, that we encountered on the mission field. We encountered cultural revolutionary missionaries who went to places to bring American culture to convert people to American culture. And there we were talking to some friends of ours in the capital or right outside the capital, Zagreb, and, and they were like, yeah, we're done with missionaries. We've seen missionaries come here for years. And we're like, yeah, but what, why? What happened? Like there's this, the last missionaries, they were here, they, they, uh, they had care packages come in once a month. They had a box full of flour and, and, and pasta and all kinds of stuff. They had it all, all their groceries or a lot of their groceries shipped over from the States. We're like, Really? They're like, yeah, is our flour not good enough? Is our pasta, we're close to Italy, is our pasta not good enough? And the, the intention is the sacrifice, and we'll get more to that too, but the intention more is connected to the sacrifice, what I have to offer, than the actual just obedience to what God's called me to do. 
I just have examples for this, so forgive me for giving too many, but you, Grace and I were struggling. We were just newly married. We were struggling whether we should have our kids in Croatia because, you know, socialist health care and all that and, and all of the other missionaries, they all left the country at about six, seven months to fly back to the States, to fly to Austria, to fly to Germany, to fly to the, to the UK to have the baby, and then they would come back. And it really spoke volumes to the, to the local people. And Grace and I decided, we're like, you know, the, at this hospital in the city that we live in, there's over 4,000 babies born a year. And if they can do it, then we can do it. And, and by we, I mean her, of course. <laughs> Actually, that's not true because the first birth, our, the birth of our son Thomas was a, 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 a tr traumatic experience for both of us. It was tough, but it was definitely the Lord by his grace, establishing us in a community that we still have relationships with to this day. And the heart is who these people really were. They weren't going to bring people to the Lord. They were going to preach an agenda, to preach a system. Verse 16, point number four, Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Now that even sounds crazy to me because it's easy for you and for me. What was the temple? What was the purpose of the temple? Do you guys know? It was the presence of God dwelt there. And they were saying there were certain ways that you could, that you could promise or say things and if you said it a certain way you were bound to it but if you didn't say it that way then you weren't bound to it and you didn't have to do it and one of these was if you swear by the temple then you don't have to really go through with it but if you swear by the gold of the temple and then you see the the shift of focus and i don't know if you'll follow me with this but notice the shift of focus that happens historically over and over again since the beginning of time the shift of focus goes from the creator from God himself, the presence of God, the dwelling of God, to the stuff, to the gold, to the gifts. And it becomes more about the gift than the giver himself, the presence of God. And he says, he says you, guys, you guys think that the gold is, is more holy than the temple? Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? You know what makes the gold holy? The temple itself. It's privilege to be in the temple. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swells, swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater? The gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. This is number five. Number four was the temple. Number five is the gift. And this is the shifting of focus that even happens in the world today. The shifting is away from who God is and his desire to have a relationship with humankind. And that being the focus, the focus is who God is and that he wants you to know who he is. And the shift is to the stuff. The shift is to the sacrifice that you can make the sacrifice that's required. And every world religion has stuff that you've got to do, sacrifices that you've got to make to be able to get holier or better. Biblical Christianity is the only one that says there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. And God rebukes them in one of the Psalms and says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. 
Everything's mine. What do you have to offer me? You can offer me nothing of value. I created it. I gave it to you. And the only thing that I want from you is your obedience. Now, if you can't understand that, think of when you were a kid. Think of growing up with your parents or your grandparents or whoever raised you and then you having kids and think of the importance in the relationship between children and adults with obedience and sacrifice. Kids will do whatever they want. And then I pull my hair out and say, I just want you to listen to me. Why don't you trust me? We're going to die. We haven't eaten since 7 o'clock this morning. You don't think I'm going to feed you dinner? You don't try. I'm like, now I know how you feel, Father. I'm sorry. <laughs> he who swears by the temple swears by it, and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Verse 23 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And he says, those, who, those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Well, we don't have to have mercy and justice and faith exercised in our life so much because we tithe to the penny, to the grain of seed. He says, well, that's great that you're faithful in one thing, but, but you've, you've, you've forsaken even the greater things uh, than tithing. Mercy and justice and faith. By the way, it's not one or the other, Jesus says. You should have been doing both. That was number six. Blind guides, verse 24, who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They were so strict in their dietary laws that they would re-strain the wine so just in case a gnat flew in, they wouldn't accidentally drink it and then break the law, the, the, the kosher law, and, and have consumed something unclean. But he says, the picture Jesus painted, he's kind of funny, Jesus. You notice that sometimes? He's like, you strain at a gnat, but you'll swallow a camel whole. The things that you want are no problem, but oh, these are this little gnat, oh. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Again, what's perceived on the outside is to be clean. On the inside, extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is number eight. Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So there's, a, there's a, a preaching of an observance of the law in the beginning. Jesus says, listen to what they say in, about the law of Moses. But there's absolute lawlessness inside. And what he's saying to them is, clean the inside first. What's that? That's addressing the heart condition first. 
and then naturally the outside will be clean. You start from the inside and it naturally goes to the outside. It's not polishing up the outside to make sure that it's clean, it's okay. When inside is filthy. How many of you, when you reach up in the cupboard to get your morning coffee cup or hot cocoa or whatever, you take it down and you look into it and there's some crud in the bottom and you're like, oh, I'm a little added extra flavor, yeah. <laughs> no, you, what do you do? You, well, you do two things, one of two things. Um, you put it in the sink, which is what most people would probably do, and you grab another one, or you can um, wash it yourself so that it's clean, so that it's ready to be a vessel of righteousness, or you can just do what I do. I just ask Grace, hey, could you wash this cup for me real quick, babe? <laughs> in Timothy, it says in a, in, a, in a house, in a big house, there's, there's many vessels. There's vessels of righteousness and vessels of unrighteousness. And he says, cleanse yourself of the latter thing so that you could be a vessel of righteousness, fitting and useful for every good work. What's an example of a vessel of righteousness? A coffee cup, right? What's an uh, example of a vessel of unrighteousness? A toilet. They're both made out of ceramic. One is used for good things. One are used for, you know, whatever. whatever you got to do what you got to do. Be a vessel of righteousness, even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias and of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." Why is he so strong here in the end? And then he really pulls back here in a second. I want you to notice this, okay? Why is he so strong? Because they're saying, we, we, if we were alive when our fathers were alive, we wouldn't have killed the prophets and, and those who were righteous testifying of God. And he said, well, you guys are in bigger trouble because not only are you the sons of those who killed them, but I'm going to send you people that you're going to crucify and that you're going to murder. And guess what? He's talking to the people who crucify him. And it was from Abel, the first prophetic word, if you will, from Jesus all the way through to one of these last ones, all of those prophets who were murdered, all of those people that were pointing to what? What were they pointing to? Jesus. They all spoke about Jesus. They all spoke about the Messiah. And it was all about his coming. And there he was speaking to them. And they were planning on how they were going to kill him. And they were taking pride that they wouldn't have killed the prophets if they were their fathers. Jesus says this generation is going to fully reject and be held accountable. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. That was number 10. 
if you were tracking with me. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Now here we have a display of the compassion of Jesus. In spite of all of the things that these people have done, all of the things that they're doing, all of the woes that he just proclaimed to them, in spite of that, his heart as the Messiah, his heart still breaks for them. Two times in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus cries here over Jerusalem and at the tomb of Lazarus. He's weeping. Oh, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who is sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, interesting thing I want to close with you on is that last thing that he says. Do you, do you know that he already made the triumphal entry? We already covered it, didn't we? So what is he speaking of here? He's speaking of the second coming. Until you say, you, you, you'll, you'll realize when, when you hear, when you see, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The idea behind this chapter being directly directed at the scribes and Pharisees isn't to put some kind of a burden on us. Obviously, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is for warnings, the first six, and it is for woes. So it's for those who, who are influenced by Pharisaical people or or legalistic people, and then the second is addressing those, hopefully unto repentance or some kind of change. So there is application in it for us, but it's also to show the, the real humility in the face of these people who have so exalted themselves. They've exalted themselves so high that they're, they're on a different planet. They're not hearing anything. They're not receiving anything. They're not getting it. And with all the people that we have around us and all the things that are being said and all the things that are being communicated, be careful the things that you let in. Be careful of the things that you are receiving. Be careful of the influences around you. Because believe it or not, the influences that you allow in, the, the influences that you allow yourself to hear are going to cause you to make decisions Kind of, for fun, I have these six closing points that I want to cover as warnings because I'm going to assume there's no Pharisees here this morning, okay? I mean, there's probably a couple, but we're going to close with the warnings and we're going to look at a couple things here and, and, and have a little bit of fun. These six points, if, if you find them true, then you might be a red, I mean, you might be a Pharisee, so... Point number one, if you say what to do, but you do not do, you might be a Pharisee. Oh, I'll tell you what to do. This is what you do. This is how you do this. But you're not willing to engage or you're not willing to do it yourself. You might, you might be a Pharisee. Number two, if you bind heavy burdens on people, isn't there a lot of people doing that right now? This is what you got to do. This is what you can't do. This is what you need to do. If you bind heavy burdens on people, you come up with a checklist that people have to follow, you might be a Pharisee. Number three, if you do things to be seen, 
if you do things to be seen. And then when everybody's gone, you act differently. And it's like when the boss shows up, right, at work. And, and you guys are all talk, talk, standing around talking to your buddies and chit-chatting, and the boss comes, oh, I was doing all this over here. Was a, remember that question I had about the accounting? That's what I'm working on right now. Oh, hey, what's up, boss? That's just a silly example. But if you do things to be seen, you might be a Pharisee. Number four, if you think you are intellectually superior to others, you might be a Pharisee. I do know people who think that they are the smartest people in the world, and they think that they are intellectually superior to everybody else. That is pharisaical thinking. Number five, if you think you are the authority, remember the the intellectually superior to others is when you call yourself teacher, other people call you teacher. Oh, I'm special. Listen to me. I'm smarter than you are. The, The authority is what? It's the parental. It's don't call anybody father. Don't be called father. If you think you're the authority, and I don't have to listen to anybody else, I'm in charge. God is the one that's in charge. And if you think you're the authority, you might. If you exalt yourself above others, this was what the Pharisees were most known for. They were exalting themselves above everybody else. We're better than you not even lifting a finger to help if, if, if it was necessary. You might be a Pharisee. The opposite of the gospel that Jesus is communicating, even in this chapter, is that we humble ourselves like Jesus. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We don't become our own authority on our own islands, sit in our ivory towers of intellect and tell everybody else what they need to do. We sympathize with people. We empathize with people. We love people. The weightier matters of the law, mercy, justice, faith, those are the things that impact us and have changed us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today and ask that you would sow it into fertile soil. We would allow our responses to the things that have been happening on even a day-to-day basis, we would allow them to be filtered through who we know you are, who we know you've called us to be, and that we would respond, not react, but we would respond accordingly. We would respond in faith, in hope, in love. We not react in fear, in self-preservation, or in judgment. We humble ourselves before you. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to know who you are. In Jesus' name.